Hey, welcome in to another episode of Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and as always, I am joined by my best friend Skinny, who might be more sweet than bitter, bitter than sweet, after his recent trip to Red Rocks to see Big Head Todd and the Monsters, his first show at the famed venue, and one that I, while I have walked around, have not seen a concert at. So, Skinny, you got one up on me to start this summer. Say hello to the people, my friend. Hey, what's up, everybody? We had an awesome time out in Colorado. I, Colorado is just so cool, and I did so much stuff, and that was the biggest thrill lately of my life. I've had some pretty big ones, but going to Red Rocks and seeing a concert. I, You know, Big Head Todd and the Monsters is a band that was playing clubs when I was 20, 21 years old, and I think I mentioned that, that we were going out there to see them, and uh, it was really cool to see them. Now, I was a lot further away than I was when I first saw them, but... Red Rocks is amazing. The sound is really good. And we sat right in the middle. We had a great time. You know, they played Bittersweet. Thank you. And they played <laughs> <laughs> they played It's All Right and Sister Sweetly. So if you're familiar with those three tunes and you saw them, then you could say, like, that was awesome. <laughs> we basically could have left after there, you know, like. But there was another band in front of them that was really good, too. And she came out and sang backup for some of those songs. So. Again, it was amazing just being an experience. We had to park up in the north lot, which was much better, just getting in and everything. So that was kind of cool because the guy was like, you're lucky you get to park on the north lot. Awesome time. Went hiking outside of Boulder, Chattaqua Park. I believe that's the pronunciation, but I'm not American Indian, so I probably just fucked that whole thing up. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's so absolutely beautiful. We just talked about the grandeur of being in that space so I, we just had an amazing time. It was a lot of fun. Although Amy had to work, she was pretty much back like two o'clock every day. And then we had the weekend for Red Rocks and hiking and all that. So thanks, man. It was amazing. Sorry to make you jealous, but you know, you'll get there one day. <laughs> it's cool. No, I mean, it sounds amazing. Obviously, going out to Colorado, Colorado is a very, very cool state. I have been to Red Rocks. We went out when we went to Dick's in 2016. Megan and me and Julia went over and we walked around the venue. We hiked around the park that's right around there. There was obviously no no show. We went and saw fish that night. So that was a an okay consolation. But Red Rocks is a very beautiful venue and one that I would definitely like to take in a concert there. And we'll be back out in Colorado in uh, just a few months, right, buddy? Yeah, we will. And what's interesting, too, when we were out there, it was the 80th anniversary of Red Rocks. So, like, I didn't know that. And then some lady on Twitter like sent old pictures and said that her grandfather was there before he went off to World War II. Like that kind of stuff just always just makes me crazy. Is there anything more that I could learn about things? I mean, I guess so. I, that kind of leads me to talking about our last show, which when we talked about on episode five, that the Mighty Diamonds and the Have Mercy, it, it makes me feel good about myself, even at my advanced age, <laughs> that <laughs> I'm still researching things that are important. Um, and to even do quick little searches or whatever, just be like, oh, I didn't know that. And just finding out about the Mighty Diamonds wrote that Have Mercy song, and they were part of that popular Kingston reggae culture. I didn't know that when I saw that at the Baker's Dozen or when I've seen Have Mercy. So just to find out about those things gives you, I don't know, more sensibility and more passion. And we're going to talk about this word too, new word, word of the week, which is essence. And I think that kind of brings us into our 
conversation for today, which is going to be great. Yeah. On the last episode of Stub Me Down, we took a look at a fish show from July 28, 2017, night six of the Baker's Dozen Double Chocolate Night. As you mentioned, they played that Sick Have Mercy to open the second set, which was followed by a chalk dust torture that is... By far one of the Baker's dozen highlights. The first set had that Destiny Unbound. I know you like that. And that really strong divided sky. And then, of course, Skinny, they close out the set with a monster sand. So that gave each of us a little bit of uh, something there to grab onto. And then that second set, again, you had that Have Mercy open up the Chalk Dust. They did the You Sexy thing that went type two. Great version of mercury they went back into the you sexy thing so they had a lot of fun that night i think we had a lot of fun talking about that show yeah the baker's dozen i still go back and listen to i have a playlist on live fish man called baker's dozen faves it's chock full of just amazing music this was one of my favorite nights of the six that we went to for sure yeah and it was my first night at the baker's dozen so i loved every minute of the time that I was in New York in the middle of the summer, you know, we talked about what we did up there. And so it's just an amazing time. And I keep having amazing times. <laughs> I must be an amazing guy. <laughs> we're going to be having amazing times once we get back on tour, but we're going to be having an amazing time today, Skinny, because Stub Me Down is all about firsts on this second season. And today we are doing something that we have not done before. We have not one, but two guests joining us. So we are going to spend some time talking with them. They are going to stub us down on a show. So this is going to be pretty cool. We're making stub me down history, and I'm pretty excited just about that. So, you know, I'm getting older, so we're going to start playing doubles, I guess. So it's <laughs> we have two guests today, <laughs> right? Because I can't run around the court. I can't run around the court like I used to. That's right. So we have two guests today, which I'm I'm really excited about too. I, can we have to find another adjective besides excited? I'm like, I'm so excited about everything. So. Super. You have super as super as your other <laughs> right. adjective. Very, very excited. These two Members of the community, I mean, really, what? how else can we describe them? They are really lifelong members of the community at this point. They collaborated, they became friends 10 or 11 years ago, and they collaborated on a virtual lot for merchandise. So they really do what we all miss. They're trying to recreate that online while we've been in the pandemic. Perhaps you have heard of The Lot by Primal Soup. Maybe you follow them on Twitter. Maybe you've bought some gear from some of their shops. But today we are joined by Carrie and Craig, both from The Lot by Primal Soup. Carrie is a small business owner and has a shop called Miss Bliss Designs. And Craig is a marketing guru who kind of brought the idea together with some other businesses, um, some other small shops that frequent the lot and try to make a positive impact, try to sell some quality goods, and at the root of it all, go and have these experiences. And it's not just about the show. It's also about the lot. Everybody goes and hangs out in the lot. And how many times have you said, oh, I'm going to go look for a shirt on the lot, going to get a bite to eat on the lot. It's part of the experience. So it is my great honor to welcome to Stub Me Down, Carrie and Craig. You guys want to say hi? 
Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, yeah, thank you for having us. Um, he said, my great honor, and I, he always gives me shit. It's our, <laughs> our, sorry, skinny. It's our great honor to have you guys on here. And we're, we're just so excited, not only for the stub down, but I feel like there's so much meat here. You know, we're going to definitely get into sharing everything. You know, it's just like the song says, it's not an experience if you can't bring somebody along. Correct? Correct. So, so Skinny, this is going to be the first of a two-part conversation that we're going to have with Craig and Carrie from the Lot by Primal Soup. We have a lot to talk about with these guys. We're talking about a show. We're talking about the lot. So we didn't want to really be restricted by any time. So we're going to do this in two parts. So today we'll cover set one. And on the next episode of Stub Me Down, we'll get into set two. We'll get a little bit more perspective from these guys about the lot. We'll have some fun with it, but I thought maybe breaking this up would be good to, to cover all that we have. There's a lot to unearth here, man. So it's a great conversation we're about to have. So good on us. Awesome. Cool. We'll start off with Craig. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal experiences with music, your background with music, where you're at right now, what you're seeing this summer. Give us a little bit of your vibe because we'd love to hear it. So I started out as a metalhead in high school, uh, Metallica, Ozzy, Iron Maiden, all that stuff. Loved it. Um, and I went away to college and there was these guys across the hall that were listening to the Grateful Dead. And I was like, what is this beautiful sounding music? And it really got my attention. And slowly I developed from a metalhead into started going to dead shows. But when I went to dead shows, I always felt like it was an older scene. I was in my early twenties. Uh, you know, I was 20 years old, I think the first time I went and, uh, it just, I couldn't really connect as much as I wanted to. And then all of a sudden a friend said, you've got to see this band fish. And it was 1991, and they kind of begrudgingly pulled me, and I went to Arrowhead Ranch with Giant Country Horns. I mean, you can't ask for a better first show. Your first show was Arrowhead Ranch? Absolutely. It was <laughs> an unbelievable experience. Uh, there was probably about 900 people there. Wow. Uh, we were camped uh, where people would be killed for as the, as the closest to the stage. That's where we were camping. We're that close to it. Um, and it was just such an experience. And I remember... After the second night, I kept saying there was no place on earth I would rather be than an official. Um, and that's when it started. And from from there, 30 years later, I'll, I'll, I'll share my uh, 30th anniversary this summer, of uh, my fish-aversary this summer. And um, I'm looking forward to, I'll even say it, I'm looking forward, I'm going to hit my 500 show. And it's uh, absolutely stunning to me that that happened. I mean, I can't, I didn't set out to do this, but I am so grateful that I did this. Uh, that is an awesome number for me because we t i just did my hundredth and josh did his a couple years before and i always was like wow even when i talk to my students they're like how many times have you seen them i'm like like a hundred now and they're like what <laughs> if i had you coming into my class and you're like like 500 they'd be like what <laughs> so that's really awesome and i can't wait to hear uh your takes on today carrie what about you can you give us a little bit about your background, where you come from, and anything you want to add? Sure. Um, I grew up small town, northwestern Pennsylvania. So my first experiences with the band were my friend's older siblings bringing bootleg tapes home from college and listening to them. And that's how I was first introduced to the band. I got lucky enough that one of my friend's brothers was sick and was not able to go to a show. So the tickets got passed down to us. And 
my first show was the Warner Theater, um, November 13th, 1994. And I was hooked after that. It was just kind of blinders on and this is what I'm doing and I love this and I haven't looked back since then. So that's a couple of hardcore veteran numbers there, 91 and 94 starting to see the band. And <laughs> as Skinny was talking about the fact that while yes, we have both seen over a hundred shows, I'm approaching 150. I feel like maybe I've seen five hanging out with Craig here. So <laughs> it's your second show. The beauty of all this is it's not a competition at all. And every number is every show you go to is to be appreciated. And every, you know, when I meet people who have been there, their fifth show, I welcome them with open arms, like, like they've been to every one of them. And it's, it, and that's the beauty of this is this is not a competition. It's all about just going and having that experience. It is a community. It is a unique community, I would say. One that I feel like the the longer you're a part of it, the deeper you get into it, which I, I guess just tends to happen with pretty much anything. But this is like quicksand almost, you know, but you're not trying to get out. The deeper you go, the deeper you go. And I, I mean, I can't wait to be in the crowd my favorite show is the one I'm at. So from number one to the next one, I'm just happy to be there. I'm happy to be with the crowd and that energy and also to go and hang out in the lot. Let's talk about the lot. So you guys have created a virtual lot. Everybody loves the, this is I'm wearing a lot shirt. Everybody loves the lot. The lot is an event in and of itself, right? You get in, you want to get a good parking spot, right? You want to try and hook up with your friends, make sure you can crew up. And then you get there, you set up, and then you start the party. And then maybe the first crew goes out to take a take a quick stroll down shakedown, see what's happening, see who's there, what kind of goods are there. And the lot itself is an event that has been taken away from us, obviously, because of the pandemic, you guys came up with a virtual lot. Tell us a little bit about how that idea came to fruition and you know, a, a little bit about uh, what the mission and the vision of that is. Absolutely. So it, it started right at when shows basically got canceled. Carrie and I have been friends for quite some time and we were talking about you know going up to the, going to summer shows and she was excited about vending. And uh, when all of a sudden that got taken away from her and everybody else out there and all of us really, we said, well, what can we do? And she, you know, she paddled, I get to, she was a little panic in her voice there. What are we going to do to overcome this? And uh, I, I come up with this idea earlier, maybe 10 years ago, but I never did anything with it because it didn't seem viable. Shows were constantly happening and there was always another lot to go to, another show to go to. So I said, well, why don't we recreate an online lot? And we'll put everybody together that we can we can find, and uh, it make it easier for the fans to find all these vendors. There's so many vendors out there, and it's really hard to to find all of them. So we we brought them all together to do that. But then we realized it was also as the stream started happening with dinner and a movie, we started to notice that everybody was flocking to our site during this time, and then it dawned on us there's a lot of people that are on couch tour, and the people that are on couch tour probably outnumber the people that are at the show, and those people can't shop the lot because they're not there. So we've provided an opportunity for them to not only experience, you know, fish is allowing them to experience it on the couch and we can now bring the lot to them as well. 
So that's what that's basically what we put together. And at this point now, we have 27 vendors. They've got like more than 3,000 items. They've got a ton of stuff to choose from. They're all inspired by jam bands, uh, every one of them, whether it be Fish, Grateful Dead, Billy Strings, Panic, or others. But that doesn't mean that everything is is all band oriented. It's just the artist's art and the creation is from these people from our community. Um, we've got really all kinds of stuff there, shirts, hats, stickers, and jewelry. Those are the things you'd expect us to have. We also have officially licensed Grateful Dead merchandise. Uh, we've got hemp and CBD products, books, and home goods. I mean, it's like you can get everything. You want a mouse pad? You can get a mouse pad. You want a phone cover? We've got all kinds of really interesting items there. So one of our uh, vendors is You Enjoy My Vegan. And if you go through there, you can get throw pillows and blankets and all kinds of things to completely decorate your home. And it's really, they're really nice things. Um, so we, you know, we've got that. So um, when we built this, we wanted to duplicate the lot experience as much as possible. So just like at a show, we did the things like we, we reached out to Surrender to the Flow, the magazine that we're all familiar with. And we said, Christy, why don't you come on board here so that when people come to our lot, they can experience Surrender as well. We also reached out and, and got Headcount at every show we go to. And, and they're a great organization, nonpartisan, but they will get you get out there to vote. Um, and they're fantastic. At every show. And we wanted to have them as well because we felt like that would make the experience better. So um, one of the other things that you find on lot is you'll find music bands will set up. And so we we reached out to the Due to Life band and said, hey guys, why don't you come join the lot? You'd be our, our house band, so to speak. So we, we'd take more bands if, if there's others out there. But you know, right now we've got the Due to Life and we promote his shows and create an experience that if you go there, you can go to his page and go listen to some music for him as well. So you know, we've got uh, a bunch of different things. But the one thing that we really are proud of that you will find on every lot that we do not have is we are the one and only lot that is 100% nitrous oxide. <laughs> there is no nitrous bottle. <laughs> I'm definitely hanging out with you guys. Don't take your interwebs to Philly then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then one other thing I want to point out is we know that others have gone and have attempted to try to create similar services or there's other ones out there. I believe that are, are starting to do that. But what makes us stand apart from the others is that we were created by vendors for vendors. That's our only focus. We're not selling anything else other than getting you to come in and shop these vendors. Um, and that's really what makes us stand out. And nobody else can nobody else can claim that. We are the original. We're often imitated, never duplicated. <laughs> so as a vendor, Carrie, how would you... First of all, can you tell us a little bit about Miss Bliss Designs? Tell us what kind of things you have in your shop. And then... Really, what your experience as a vendor has been? When did you start vending? Do you do the entire tour? Do you hit like a couple of shows here and there when they're maybe along the East Coast? I know you live in, you said, Northwestern Pennsylvania. So, Northwestern Pennsylvania is still a little bit far from the East Coast, although, you know, Philly's still in the same state. So, you know, what, when do you generally get out to sell your goods? And, you know, what kind of things will we find at, at Miss Bliss Designs? Sure. Um, well, I started vending back in 1997, apron tops, patchwork skirts. You know, basic things that that were of that time frame, waters, sodas, whatever I could do. My focus at that point was getting from show to show. Um, I wanted to be able to get to the shows and come home and not have a drained bank account. And so I was able to use my creativity to pull it off for quite a while. Um, and then in 2016, some things changed in my life and some things came up and I decided I was going to take a chance and turned it into a full-time business. Um, I had previously worked for a school district. I was in administration, uh, 70 hour weeks. I was working myself to death and it just, 
I wasn't happy and some things came up and I had this opportunity and I thought, let's do it. And so it's been full steam ahead ever since. Um, I offer a full line of graphic design work. Um, I currently have an Etsy shop with 67 uh, original designs in it. And the cool thing um, about what I do is I customize everything. So if you see a design that you like, I can put it on any color, any style garment that you could want. Um, we can change colors around. If you come to me with your own ideas, I can make your ideas into a reality and do whatever you want with that. I'm going to interrupt you re right here because over the 20 plus years that Skinny and I have been friends, we have come up with, what what would you think? Probably 500 viable lot shirt ideas. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I can think of like a couple. <laughs> I'm not going to shout them out because it's just dumb, but because they're dumb ideas. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have never... <laughs> But you walk around a parking lot and you come up with these ideas. <laughs> right, right. Right. While everybody else is actually working. So I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the wherewithal to like do what you do. Carrie, I have a lot of respect. And Craig, I have a lot of respect for you for putting that together in a virtual space. And then Carrie for so many years doing that on the lot because I always kind of look at people that are working and I'm like, man. This is the last place I would want to work. <laughs> so I, it's the best. I know, and and that's what draws me to it. I guess in some sort of like looking at a personality or somebody that does it is like there's an essence to it, and and so what pulls you into that scene, that world? Because that's a completely different viewpoint. I mean, Josh just mentioned, you know, there's two parts kind of the show. It's hanging out before, which is shakedown the lot. And then going into the show. So it's like you're entertained twice. You know, what's the essence of that for you as a vendor? Can you explain that to us? Because I don't have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, my studio is based out of my house. So I'm home all of the time working. So to be able to get out among um, people that I absolutely love and adore and to have that community surrounding me. It's, I don't consider it work. It's work. It's hard work. Um, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy, but I have such a great time doing it. And I have established such amazing friendships over the years that it's like going to see my family. I don't consider it a nine to five job or, you know, I'm running that rat race. It's just what I do. And it's the community and it's that togetherness and knowing that I have that support from all of these other people that do the same thing that I do. And I love it. And I try not to miss shows. I try to hit as many as I possibly can. If I'm not able to vend at a show, that's where I kind of have to really think about, you know, where's Vegas? I would never miss. I'm not vending in Vegas, but I would never miss Vegas shows. Um, but I try and hit as many as possible. And it's all about the community and just being around people that are just like you and that comfort level and, you know, all of real life's worries kind of fade away. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be places, you mentioned Vegas, but there's got to be places where there might be something set up somewhere, but it's not as lucrative. You don't get as many people. Maybe it's a little bit of a stricter area 
you know, as far as, you know, police presence or, or, or whatever have you. I, I'm thinking of Atlantic City when they play three nights there. It's going to be tough to set up a shakedown street because you've uh, there's no one giant parking lot that everybody's going to be in, right? Okay. So that makes, you know, and that's three shows. So that can be tough, especially if people are, like you said, when you got your start, you're going from show to show, kind of supporting your tour habit. And when you, you know, miss a couple of shows that you're still attending, well, then you start to get into the red a little bit. So with that, what are some, like, what's a really good place that you've gone and had a great experience vending, whether it's just the entire scene or what would you consider as your kind of your, your preferred places to be in the lot? Some of the best places uh, for me personally, and I think for a lot of other vendors um, are just where we're welcomed. SPAC is very welcoming to vendors. Um, Charlotte is very welcoming. Um, we had a great time in Charleston in 2019. Um, the Gorge, of course, has an amazing shakedown. Um, Hampton is usually a really great venue for vendors. So all of those places, there's very few venues that I just off I plan from the start, I'm not even going to attempt. Um, Atlantic City being one this summer, I'm not even gonna take anything with me. That's strictly just a vacation trip. Hershey leading up to Atlantic City is notoriously not a very friendly lot for vendors. So I'm just gonna play that one by ear and I'll have everything with me. And if I get there and the energy's good and it looks like everything's gonna be okay, then I'll set up. But if not, thankfully I have Deer Creek right before that. And my goal is to go to Deer Creek and sell out after those three days. I've given myself that goal. I've been working towards it for a few months now and I'm just planning to go and crush it. And right now that's what I'm focused on, so. Well, I hope you crush it so that you can relax for the rest of the tour. <laughs> I will tell you this. We tried vending one time. We sold burritos and like bottles of wine and I got past like a fake 20. So that was my vendor experience. I was not very creative. It was a huge scene. Was, we we went and tried to find the P. It was, it was rough. There was a Lehigh football game getting out. It was just a mess. We didn't know what we were doing. So I have a lot of respect for you just for doing the work, making the commitment. Obviously, you're making these products that you're selling in your home. So there's that significant man hours. It's not like you're buying five cases of water and then trying to go sling them on the lot. What is it like being a woman in, quite frankly, I don't know if the vending game is a male dominated enterprise. Obviously, I feel like there are a lot of women around, but I I don't have any idea or perspective about how many of those businesses are actually run by women. I know that, you know, especially with Groove Safe and things like that, there's a more conscious effort to be aware of everybody's safety and especially women in the scene. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and um, how you view that? Craig, do you want to jump in there real quick? Yeah, I, I could actually give you some insight. Carrie could give you a lot of insight as well. But one thing from the lot by Primal Suits perspective, a full 75% of all the vendors on the lot are women-owned businesses. So I didn't, that was something I wasn't familiar with as that it was that woman dominated. And Carrie could talk a little more about that, but that's something I learned um, this over this past year when it's we've noticed that, that many, many of the vendors are women. Yeah, I think um, in the mid to late 90s, I think it really was a male-dominated scene. 
there were female vendors, of course, but usually it was couples. It was a husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend. You didn't see a lot of um, single female vendors on the road. Um, and now that's changed. Um, I think the scene as a whole is um, a little more evened out, male to female ratio. And there are a lot more uh, women-owned businesses that are represented on the lot. And I think it's wonderful because when I started seeing fish, it really was a very male-dominated scene. And it was it was a bit uncomfortable. Um, I used to travel with girlfriends and, you know, we'd roll in and the three or four of us together and we still kind of felt that discomfort level because it was just dudes everywhere. Oh man, <laughs> but, that's terrible. <laughs> not that that's, you know, but it, it's intimidating, it is. you it know, is. especially when you're traveling across country and, yeah. and, and it was intimidating, but now it's a lot more comfortable. I, you know, I've tried to base a lot of my designs as well around the female aspect of our community and I have our girl woman goddess design, which is huge. And, um, you know, this year I've got a lot girl summer design that's coming out and it's just, you know, it's just all about being female in the community is a normal thing now. And it's not something to be intimidated by. If you want to go to a show, go to a show, there's going to be a huge group of women there to welcome you in. You're not alone. Um, and getting into vending, we really try to do that now. There's a group of us that have always really tried to stick together on that. We decide beforehand um, when we're going to be rolling in and we try to roll in together so we're able to park all along. So if, if there are any problems that come up or any issues, we know that we have people right there able to support us and we'll have our backs and it takes a lot of that pressure off and it's not as intimidating. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I can tell you right now, my wife is probably going to love your shop. <laughs> we walk around Shakedown and one of the things she always talks about is there are great shirts, but they're never made into tank tops. And she loves a good summer tank top with a good fish or Grateful Dead or some music related logo or something on it and she can never find it in tank tops. So I will be letting her know about your shop because I'm sure she'll be a customer and we will also be at Deer Creek. So we will definitely be catching up with you there. Oh, Definitely. She can take a look at some of your stuff in person for sure. Yes, please come and see me. We have all sorts of stuff geared directly for females. Um, and I do have guys' t-shirts too. I don't want to exclude the guys. I do offer <laughs> men's items as well. A lot of hats, um, you know, some t-shirts, but I'm That's okay. for, for the ladies. We deserve to be excluded for some of the things we do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to sport one of my girl, woman, goddess designs, I will more than happy throw that on a, on a shirt for you. <laughs> I would absolutely wear it. Uh, <laughs> that is a really bold question. <laughs> I, I will, I will too. Uh, we're, we're kind of a couple. <laughs> <laughs> we could do matching colors for you all. Yeah, that'd be great. So today is really cool. So we've got Craig and Carrie with us. And so Craig and Carrie are actually going to be stubbing me and skinny down. If you are new to stub me down, I'm not sure what has taken you so long to get here, but thanks for joining us. The premise of the show is that over the years, skinny and I have collected all these ticket stubs from concerts we've been to together 
separately before we were friends, even separately when we were friends, if he ditched me or I ditched him, or maybe he just couldn't make it because of some other something, children. We all have lives, right? But anyway, what we do is we select one of those concert ticket stubs at random, and we use that show as a jumping off point to a discussion, obviously about the music, but the larger picture of going to concerts, our friendship, the funny things that happen along the way. What we're really trying to do is take a closer look at something from a little bit of a different perspective. So today, Craig and Carrie are going to stub us down. So we'll get their perspective from a show that, interestingly enough, Skinny and I were, neither of us were at. So this will be an interesting perspective for us. We'll get a good look at this show. And then we're also talking about this second component to going to concerts, and that's the lot experience. So we're going to be pulling in some of those stories, some of their experiences, some of our own experiences as members of a community that spend time in a parking lot. With that, Craig and Carrie, are you ready to stub me and Skinny down? Let's do this. Let's do this. All right, well, tell us what the show is. We will be doing Sunday, August 9th, 1998, from the GTE Virginia Beach Amphitheater in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh man, that's awesome. I know about the show. I was not there, and Josh, you were not there either. Is that correct? I was not there. Never miss a Sunday show, number one. Number two, this is one of those shows that most people will know just by the date, 8998. I know this show because my first show was the night before, 8-8-98, August 8th, 98, at Meriwether Post Pavilion. So we'll probably build in a little bit of reference to that. I don't want to talk too much about that show because that could get pulled for a future episode, Skinny. But let's start off with where you guys were on that summer tour of 98. How many shows were you doing? Where did this fall on your part of the tour? Or, you know, what kind of perspective could you give us heading into this show um, in Virginia Beach? Craig, why don't we start with you there? I did most of that summer tour. Um, so I had been, I've been going to a bunch of shows and coincidentally, that was one of the few shows I ever tried my hand at vending at, which was kind of, I was not as successful as Carrie. I could tell you that <laughs> I had a tendency to give things away, but, um, I remember that, that tour it, and I, I did, I caught a good portion of that tour. So it was really, really exciting, uh, to, for this, to go to the show. Carrie, how about you? Um, the Virginia beach show was actually the first show I saw that summer and I followed it up. Um, after that, they came back through to Burgettstown for Star Lake. And so I was able um, to do that before festival time. So I'm a big fan of 98 as a fish year. I think a lot of people nowadays will come around to that a little bit more. I think previously everybody was so blinded by 97 that 98 maybe sometimes took a back seat to that. We actually had a guest on a couple of episodes ago who stubbed us down on a December 29th, 1998 show from MSG. Great show. My first show was in 98. So I have a sweet spot in my heart for 98. I think their sound had evolved a little bit from that real heavy, jammy funk, high-paced, high-powered energy shows that they were doing in 97. In 98, kind of, the band became 
a little bit more patient, I felt like, in how some of their jams developed, in how they played some of their songs. Really, 98 is is a pretty good standout year. They Story of the Ghost came out in 98, so they had a bunch of new music that they were playing. They had some reworked music that they were playing, um, some of which we'll get into here. So great year, great summer tour as well. What was going on as far as vending, the lot scene, you know, what it was like outside of those shows, because I didn't see them until 2000. But I obviously was familiar from the time I saw the Grateful Dead in 87 until their demise in 95 as their original form or several variations. So after 95, I didn't see much. And then Josh is the one that pulled me into fish, which at this point now, 21 years later, I'm so thankful for. Um, it's a big part of our lives and, and we love the music and it, it connects me back to those times when I first started on this entire journey. But I want to know what that journey was like outside for that tour, because I've heard things, things that aren't good. And I experienced some of those same things when it came to shakedown streets, being outside, heavy police presence. We've mentioned that already on episode two of the season. We talked about the cap center from 91 and it was just out of control. And I'm not just saying like people are out of control. I'm saying the way that police handled it was completely out of control and unjust. So it's easy for me to say that and I'm very much aware of my white privilege, but you could see that there was obviously a disconnect. And I have heard the same thing about this part of the summer tour. So Carrie, I, I just wanted to ask you what you thought about that. It was tense is probably the best word that I could describe that particular show. I was not um, at Meriwether the night before, but I had friends there and they experienced the chaos and just the negativity that happened that night. Um, and I think it just really carried over to Virginia Beach with the crowd. And I think law enforcement was waiting like they were expecting the worst. They weren't going to give anyone the opportunity to prove anything otherwise. And so just very tense, uncomfortable. You know, they were fining people for selling waters. And I saw a girl get arrested for painting faces. She had a blanket laid out. She wasn't taking money. She wasn't doing anything. She was painting faces. And, um, you know, they hauled her off and they weren't gentle. They weren't nice about it. It was really tense. We left everything in the vehicles and we just, we made our way over to a different parking lot and it wasn't as bad. Mike was actually riding around and it was a little bit more relaxed, but there were definitely pockets depending on where they put you. And yeah, it just wasn't a very comfortable scene to be a part of. And I, I totally understand. I mean, even at that point, I remember being in our mid 20s and like just being afraid to drink beer out of a solo cup before you're going into a concert like you felt like you were doing something wrong. Yeah, I kind of wanted to give you a little perspective just from from my experiences. When we first went to fish shows in the early 90s, we'd show up in a town and we didn't show up at 25,000 strong. So we're showing up, you know, a thousand strong or whatever. A lot of the locals had no idea what was going on. There really wasn't a lot seen. But as we started to develop and going to larger venues, we had a lot seen that was very calm. I hate to say it, but it was around the death of Jerry when the dead scene collapsed and everybody rushed into the fish scene is when we really started to see all the problems. And I don't think it was the people per se. I think it was the overloading of the scene. There were a ton of people that had no place else to vent and they did not come to the shows to see music at all. So you kind of had that vibe from 95, 96, all the way up almost till till hiatus. 
So you still, and then a hiatus, we seem to drop a lot of that off. And what we're left with today is nothing like what we had in the past. What we have is a carnival, an adventure. Um, sure, if you step out of line, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But don't step out of line. And they're not really overly looking for people stepping out of line. So what was going on in 98 was kind of a product of what had been building all through the past you know, five, six years. And to, so you get an idea of the tense things that happened and at Merriweather, they parked everyone nose to tail and they just buried all the cars in. So if you're parked in the middle, you couldn't leave. They sent helicopters out to chase us out and guys on horseback, but we couldn't leave. So it was terrifying. And, you know, so when you get to the next show and the police are already on edge about you because they've probably been called and told, that created the environment that we we had at, at Virginia Beach. It's funny too, because so for my first show at Merriweather, I didn't have a lot scene. We, there was no lot scene because as we were driving into the venue, my car started to break down. So I was leaking some sort of green fluid all the way down Route 29 in Columbia. I'm sorry for anybody that was out there sitting in the hours of traffic trying to get into Merriweather Post Pavilion on August 8th, 1998. If you saw a blue Explorer go by in the breakdown lane with the four ways on, that was me and I'm sorry. We, we got over there. We parked the car at the mall. I was freaking out because this is my car and now it's broken down and I'm a half hour away from home. So we didn't really experience, of course, I saw the the helicopter flying around. There was a police presence when we walked into the venue, but we went straight from the mall into the venue, found a spot on the lawn. I was like still freaking out over the car by the time the lights went down and the wedge was the first song that they opened the show with. Then I kind of forgot about everything else. And here I am 23 years later. <laughs> so I wonder the experience of the lot and the tightness. And I've been to Merriweather shows since that have been very, very tight. I almost got arrested at a widespread show for drinking a beer and I was 24. And so there's there's always been a heavy-handed police presence, although that has changed recently, probably the last, what, five or six years or so. So I wonder how that experience for a noob going into their first show might have colored their impression of the scene, right? Because I was a, you know, stupid college kid who I had been to Jimmy Buffett concerts and Dave Matthews and 311. And it was much different music that I was seeing, but the environment, again, it goes back to that carnival atmosphere that we have now. People might go and hang out at a Jimmy Buffett concert or a Dave Matthews concert in the parking lot, but they're largely staying at their car. There's not a community in this scene that pops up every stop on the tour. And so I wonder, I'm just wondering out loud, like what, how that in, might have colored my impression, you know, seeing people getting arrested and, and stuff like that. And obviously I've, we've seen plenty of that stuff in our time, but, you know, it's interesting how what happens outside can impact what happens inside, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody wants to have a festival, not an arrestable. <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? I, re I remember being outside of Three Rivers Stadium in, in Pittsburgh and guys that were obviously undercover cops. I mean, you can't see me quoting because <laughs> you're only hearing me. In bandanas, like that looked like Harley Davidson guys. And it's just like, you're. what are you doing? You're 
a guy's running away from you, let him go. And then he trips over a cooler and like ruins himself <laughs> and gets really hurt because of what? Like how long did that, you know what I mean? It always was for me, I guess, as an outside observer, that's why I always just was like, go into the show early because I couldn't stand that element of it, which was like, it's not praying because that's like white privilege talking, but it's, it's more like, where are your resources going? <laughs> like you're going to people that they're go- It's a rock concert, man. It's not that serious. Yeah. Skinny, you'll remember this. How many times have we been in Hershey? And when Carrie mentioned maybe keeping an eye out and, and feeling out Hershey, Hershey is like the home of the cops where like the color of the day, right? The color of the day will be a blue and pink tie dye. It'll be a red bandana tucked in your back pocket or something like that. The or like the t-shirt is so crisp, very obvious. Hershey is landlocked, and I swear to God, one year I saw a cop in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding you, dude. I swear to God. I was just going to add that I was at that uh, Three Rivers show and the police came out in riot gear on the floor, on the field during the show. And I mean, I'm a young kid and yeah, it was not the experience I was looking for. I could tell you that. It was terrifying. I won't say it ruined the show, but I mean, I kept looking over my shoulder once they were gone and they just picked up some dready guy and took him away and that was it. Yeah. But I mean, they came out with the shields and the, and like you said, what are our resources being spent on? And I'm really glad that they... They look at us differently. We bring a lot of uh, huge economic stimulus when we come to their community. And I'm grateful that they finally realized that we go to hotels and restaurants. We spend lots of money when we're there. So stop arresting us, you know, unless unless someone's necessary to be arrested. We're all a little bit older now, too. So hopefully yeah. we know how to behave a little bit better. Just a little bit. Try not being, you know, nefarious out there, people. You know who you are. Nefarious, <laughs> nefarious types. Hey, listen, we could talk about this all day. I mean, I know I can. But. We got to get to a show today. So I think we should jump into this because uh, there's a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a great show. As we said, this is one of those shows that you know by date, August 9th, 1998 from Virginia Beach, the Virginia Beach Amphitheater. They opened set one with Punch You in the Eye, Bathtub Gin, The Lizards, Moma Dance, Birds of a Feather, Esther, Rogue, Bouncing Around the Room, and they close the first set with David Bowie. I don't know about you all, this set on paper is solid. I mean, starting off a show with a punch you in the eye is always gonna be a great start. But a punch you in the eye, Beta Jin Lizards, that's like, okay, I'm good, I'm going home type of material to start a show. And that bathtub gin was a mid-set Probably you could even say maybe a mid-second set bathtub gin. Not maybe with the length, but the depth of that jam and the way they played that really, really strong start. So, Craig, what were your impressions there just just at that beginning, the punch, the bathtub gin, how they kind of got this thing rolling after this kind of experience that you guys had in the lot where it was maybe a little bit tight, a little bit negative. Now you're in the show. Tell us a little bit about that. They punched us in the eye. I mean, they came out on stage, and you could immediately know that they were here, and they're here. They weren't just playing around. Uh, That bathtub, what I really enjoyed about it was the ending of it. It became so sweet and gentle, and then it faded off. And what I remember, and I went back and listened to this, and I actually confirmed that it really did happen. At the beginning of Lizards, they play this medley, 
and it's a medley of the man who stepped into yesterday into Tila into the lizard intros and what that reminded me of is it, that's such a one-o thing for fish to do i don't know if you guys are familiar with the show from 11 290 which is the miller ballroom in boulder colorado so to end the second set they ended it with bowie and in the intro to bowie where we're all going is this bowie or maze fisher was just doing his drum bit through there and they played a 10 song medley tease and what they did is they went back and they met they teased 10 songs that they had just played in the show before they just dumped into to Bowie. And that reminded me so much of that, where we don't get that enough anymore. And it, it was it, it just was so good to remember that they do these things. They still can. Yeah, they can. And, and I remember, I guess during the hiatus, like Josh, this is another show that we might pull one day. It's like Trey did that one time and did like, yes, roundabout, and then something else, a bathtub gin, like, and this is at the end of the show. So yeah, I was really appreciative of that before that lizard and then after the entire listening of the entire show i felt what you said already is it's melodic from start to finish that lizards for me was a highlight and it was because of that intro i was like i've never i mean i've heard a couple of lizards not a stats guy it doesn't matter but i've heard several i think and i've never heard an intro like that and i i was definitely involved before that with the punch, but then the bathtub and then that intro to the lizards really set it off for me. And they had played Tila the night before at Merriweather. So when I was listening to it and I caught both of those, but the Tila part really stood out. And then two notes later, they're in lizards. And that was really cool. Carrie, what were your impressions just as, as a vendor that had maybe been a little bit stressed out in the lot? And one of the things you had mentioned when we had our pre-recording chat was this, you know, once you're in the gates, you kind of get that you know, safety feeling. So how did you feel kind of going in to the show? Now they're, they're ripping through some good openers here. Where, where were you at? It, it was that release. You were able, to, you were given that space to just drop everything that happened beforehand. And I remember the dance party from the opening, all the, it just, the crowd was so pumped and they were so ready. And the smoothness, um, there was still that funkiness that we were really used to hearing from 97. But as they were, you know, in 98, there was, it was still that funk. But Craig and I were talking about this before. Um, it wasn't as pungent. It was a lot more smoother and just kind of flowed together. And so I think those first three songs are a great example of that, where everyone could just drop all expectations, drop whatever was going on beforehand. And it gave us a really good palette to just get lost in and, and really have a great dance party. A great way to describe that, funk would be more refined. They, it still had that dirty feel to it, but it was just a little more refined. And I think that you know, we were talking about 98, I think that's how I would define 98 is we got the funk, but it was developing more into, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, more of that space funk that kind of turned into 99, 2000. Uh, and I think this is kind of not this show, but just this summer was that kind of transition to it. Yeah, I look at 98 as it was a little bit of a transition year because you get into 99, they get into a little bit of more of the dissonance, the ambient sound in their jams. I've heard some people describe it as lazy. I think it was just how the, where they wanted to take the sound or where the sound maybe was naturally going. I couldn't stop listening to that bathtub gin because at one point, Trey and Mike are like racing each other in baseline and then Trey's licks and they kind of, it felt like they were just swirling their sound together. 
And then I just imagined that sound swirling around the venue. Carrie, you said it, the energy of the crowd, I mean, that is palpable. That comes through on the audience recordings of this show. The crowd was hyped from the opening notes to the very last note of the show. And that is very evident. And the crowd was amped. I mean, especially after this start, you know, you've got some heavy hitters there that they're dropping one, two, three out of the gate. So that's going to get everybody pretty happy. Absolutely. And I love the shows where from moment one, from the time those stage lights drop, you have that sync. It's like the band is synced up with the crowd. We're feeding off each other's energy. And I really feel like that was one of those nights. We weren't aware of what was in store for us. They knew what was going on, but that energy was there from moment one, from the moment those first notes were hit. And that's something Skinny and I have talked about on multiple occasions is that circular nature of the energy the crowd feeds off the band the band feeds off the crowd maybe there's an environmental situation that adds to it but i gotta believe by the time the band sang the trick is to surrender to the flow for people that had been on tour and maybe experienced a rough night the night before and for you coming in after you know experiencing what you had in the lot i'm sure that that moment Everything kind of washes away, and now you're just a part of the energy that's circulating. And that's really cool. And that's, I mean, that's like, that's why we go. Well, it's one of the reasons why we go, right? Yeah. And I think that the mama dance next, too, is like, uh, continues that dance party that Carrie's talking about and that, that energy. And then right into, birds after that that moma dance i i have to pause on this moma dance because moma dances these days don't have like a five minute intro you know you might get two or three moma they were playing the shit out of moma dance at the beginning of 1998 moma dance for those who are not nerds formerly was a song called black eyed katie that they started playing really in the fall tour of 97. i think they debuted it in uh, vegas in november 97 then the last time they played it formally as black eyed katie was december 30th 97. and there it came out of a carini i mean that's a killer version of black eyed katie i mean talk about your super funk if you are not familiar with that carini black eyed katie sneak and sally that is a must listen but they reworked it and added words to it and then it became this like song about a ship and it's funny that everybody now a lot of people that i talk to now don't like moma dance but they loved it when it was black eyed katie and this is a great version i mean you're talking about a 10 minute version here with half of it being the intro it's a spectacular version that's just such a funky groove you hear that moma dance groove and you can just literally see every head on the lawn wherever you are just everybody start to simultaneously dance to that beat and that is just so much fun yeah i'm gonna give it up to an old friend of ours tony's shoes rest in peace but he would say this shit slamming bro (laughs) that mama dance is slamming it's totally slamming so i i really love that and then of course the birds after that bird speaks to me a lot and so does like even that when the birds are going in the uh what's that the thrilling thrilling chilling thrilling sounds yeah i always say thrilling chilling so whenever i'm backwards but like i always i don't know what it was maybe it's because the, the second show that i ever saw they played a sweet 
birds of a feather. I really like that too. I, I just thought this was like all the way through this first set was really, really strong and would have definitely lifted my spirits quickly. Well, and the Birds of the Feather, too. So that's another debut, 98 debut. They debuted that only in April at on Island Tour at Nassau on April 2nd. So that was relatively new. They were still working that out. But I love the kind of the allegory of the song itself. Birds of a Feather are flocking outside. Here we are talking about the lot. And here the band is singing about basically what we're doing outside before the show, you know, pecking at the ground and strutting around. <laughs> and it, it really matches well with this idea of birds that are different, but we all kind of share the same feather. And so I really like that allegory, especially in reference to the theme of this particular episode of Stub Me Down, talking about the lot and, and that experience. So I think that fits really well there. Skinny is not a fan of the next song. I love Esther. I love the do 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 the carnival feel. I love the story. I love when Trey plays those guitar licks when she's soaring through the air and gliding, and the music plays perfectly with the story. And then I also think about how many times have you been standing in the lot and some creepy guy like sidles up to you and is like, hey, you want to see what I've got in my pail? Now I don't like it even more. And that's what I was going to tell you. I think I have a phobia at my old age of circuses. Like, I just don't like that. I don't like what you just said you liked, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Which is, I don't like the carnival-y atmosphere and a monkey jumps out of a cage thing. I can't do that. I don't think you're going to like the next song then, because I'm, I'm pretty sure we talk about clowns. <laughs> well, I mean, the circus is okay from afar, but there's something about it to me. It just doesn't hit right. And I did listen to this version today at the pool, and I really paid attention. And there was a time at the end of the uh, song where Mike slides in and does some pretty groovy stuff that technically I would have no idea about, but I could hear how good it was. So I know it's a composition. I'm just not for the composition. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Esther's a great song <laughs> and a great story. And then, you know what? I find Rogue to be another one of those songs that kind of fits into this theme about the lot the circus is the place for me i think we all feel pretty good when we hear that line but the thing about this song in particular is that it's kind of like a blissful type of song right they can peek it out but it has a very kind of blissful existence but the song itself is a the lyrics are a little bit more chaotic so i love the dichotomy there and it does again bring this image of the lot to life where it's a circus people are trying to be chill but it can be chaotic and so i really like kind of the message there bouncing around the room kind of a standard fish hit i guess i'll never complain about it bouncing i know some people are haters because it was played on the radio twice well i'll stop you there i heard down with disease on the radio so that's a radio song as well i remember when that came out uh, they play that at every show i've ever been to <laughs> that opens the second set of every show skinny's ever been to sounds like you had a great time i do i like it but after a while i'm like you know i'm all about placement now <laughs> 
they bring this set to a close with a real, real tight David Bowie. Really technically sound, not that I'm a musician or anything, but I, I can hear when they don't make any mistakes. This was very, very clean. They settled into a real nice groove really after only about four or five minutes. And when this peak hits the crowd, again, it goes back to that crowd energy. The place goes bananas. What was it like being in the crowd at that moment when, you know, they dropped that Bowie peak and everybody's just going bananas? Carrie, how did that moment kind of wrap up that set for you? I thought it was perfect timing. We had the gentleness leading up to it. It kind of gave everybody the opportunity to catch our breath and really maybe ground ourselves a little bit. And the explosion of the energy that took place. And it's one of those moments like you were talking about where you could just see the entire crowd on beat and flowing with the music. And I thought it was a perfect way to close that set and just kind of wrap everything up before set break. Absolutely. Carrie and I didn't know each other at the time. But we today we're talking about that she was probably about 15 feet away from me at the show. We were, we were both at the top of the lawn on the walkway up there. So we, you get that view of, of looking down at the entire crowd and you can see that it's almost like it's breathing and swelling. When it gets that energy, it's just like you could see it come off. It's almost cartoonish a little bit. I think it's the smoke that's really giving me that visual, but it's, uh, it's fantastic uh, to, to be able to see that experience. And that's exactly how it felt to me as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it was the perfect cap to really a top to bottom set, in my opinion. And just to review the first set, so they opened it up with Punch You in the Eye, Bathtub Gin, The Lizards, Moma Dance, Birds of a Feather, Esther, Rogue, Bouncing Around the Room, and they closed the first set with David Bowie. So that was a great first set we just talked about, and I cannot wait until we start getting into set two. Next time here on Stub Me Down, I feel like we're in the middle of the lot. You know how like it's four deep and you can barely walk around and look at anything, and that's why you leave, but we're not leaving. Can't wait to get into the second set of this fish show from August 9th, 1998, Virginia Beach. Of course, next time we will talk about the famed Encore, which I'm sure if you are a fan of the band you are familiar with. And if not, then you definitely want to check in with us next week. Skinny, you got anything else before we take a little set break on this August 9th, 1998 show, my friend? Of course I do. I have two other people that we are also partnering with on this podcast. The first is Fan Designs by Scott Mitchell at Fan Designs, P-H-A-N-D-E-S-I-G-N-Z. You can find him on Instagram. He follows us. He has all kinds of stuff. I almost said shit. He has all kinds of stuff from across the jam band scene, uh, including Goose, Pigeons Playing Ping Pong, Fish, a bunch of different stuff I don't even listen to. Like, I have I've not listened to Spafford yet either. So there's a bunch of stuff that I need to check out from him. Then there's Jamazon.com, which they have other stuff besides hats, but their hats are money. I have like four different ones. I love them all. I just wore a couple of them when I was out in Colorado. So... Please check them out. We've partnered with them as well. Yeah. Tour's right around the corner. So freshy up your gear, freshy up your hats. Apparently, Skinny, there's a big movement against cargo shorts that's happening in the concert going community. And I'm not sure I'm ready to embrace that yet because I just carry too much shit at concerts. I have some shorts for you that I'll tell you about. We haven't partnered with anybody on shorts 
but these things are money and I have a great story from Camden. I'll tell you about them on the side. <laughs> Either way, they're great. Thanks so much for checking us out here on Stub Me Down. If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can check us out on Twitter. We are at stub underscore me underscore down. And we are also on Instagram at the same address, stub underscore me underscore down. Join us next time as we wrap up our conversation with Carrie and Craig from The Lot by Primal Soup. We'll get into the second set from Fish, August 9th, 1998 at Virginia Beach. Great show. Can't wait to talk about that second set. And we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. Later, everybody. Later.